When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This season, the Thursday Club on Fulhamish is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised Fulham fixture over the course of the season. And with our upcoming game against Spurs being live on Sky Sports, if you can't make it to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, head to your local Green King pub instead and they'll be showing the game there. Also, Green King Sports have recently launched their Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. So drop them a follow on Instagram and you'll be the first to know all about those special offers. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be looking ahead to Saturday's game against Sheffield United. Can we get back to winning ways? We have to get back to winning ways, surely, against the basement side. Please, we have to score some goals in this one. We'll also briefly look back at Monday's defeat to Chelsea, but we'll gloss over it, to be honest. And also, we'll answer some of your questions that are in the emails. And I'm joined today, first of all, by Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. How are we doing? Good, thank you. Peter, obviously, with his PSG hat on tonight, is heading up to Newcastle. But Isabel Barker, standing in, in his big shoes. Thank you for coming on, Is. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's an upgrade, I promise. <laughs> Definitely an upgrade. Thank you, Is. Thank you for coming on today. Um, great to have you on. We'll start then with a little bit of a final word on Monday's defeat by Chelsea. Um, we were all there. It was a pretty bleak evening. Um, if you haven't listened to the podcast with uh, George, Drew, Archie and Dan Cook reviewing everything that happened on Monday, which came out yesterday, um, do give it a listen. They will go into, they went into the game far more in detail than we will now, but we'll do a quick glossing over it. Um, Jack, a pretty desperate evening by the river. Just just really insipid and played into Chelsea's hands at almost every opportunity. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? We spoke about the fact that Chelsea have been in a bad run of form, but have had the numbers to suggest that at some point they're going to improve. And the one thing you don't do with a team like that is give them a an, an multitude of early opportunities to get off the, you know, the, the kind of scoring demon off their backs and to allow them to find some sort of control and composure. And to be honest, I felt like we got this wrong in almost every capacity. Um, Diop and Ream were pretty awful, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Diop missing an, a big header for the first goal, Ream getting himself in a muddle for the second. I thought that Pelinha was completely overrun in midfield with Harrison Reed pushing up and it allowed Caicedo and Enzo to completely and utterly run the game. I thought Pereira looked lost. Jimenez wasn't great, but probably wasn't deserving of all of the vitriol that came his way because I think Carlos Vinicius did much better when he came on. Harry Wilson worked hard, but didn't have much kind of end product. And, and on my life, I swear William was playing against us. Like the entire performance was like an apology 
to Chelsea fans for scoring against them last year. The clapping their fans when they sang the song during the game while playing. That it was just dreadful from start to finish. And there was a moment where obviously Wilson got substituted and I was head in hands in the stands as to what Silva was looking at that I wasn't with Willian remaining on the pitch. I mean, there were bright sparks. Castagna, I thought, did really well. Robinson did perfectly fine, I thought, down that left-hand side, worked really hard. Um, and I thought Awobi came on and, and was very, very impressive as well. So, so there are bright sparks. I thought Lukic actually as well came on, pushed really high, um, pressed very high in that 10 roll, had a chance and an opportunity which he should have done better with. But generally, I thought his overall play when he came on, we were much better with Awobi and Lukic on the pitch. And I wonder if that impacts the selection for Saturday's game. Um, is what was the mood afterwards uh, with Marco in the in the post match presser? I mean, I, I imagine he was pretty gutted and angry because this was an opportunity, right? It was not just an opportunity to get three points, but also an opportunity to get bragging rights, upset the local neighbours. We got so many positive headlines when we beat Chelsea last year, and it did did wonders for for the fan morale, for player morale, and so. And, and and there was an opportunity on Monday, as good as Chelsea were, and they were back to some sort of form. And as Jack said, there was an element of they were going to give someone a tonking eventually with the numbers that they were posting. But it, it almost felt like Fulham were, it was a 50-50 game and, and we come out the wrong side of it. And now everything's looking a little bit down in the dumps. Yeah, to be honest, actually, Marco was really measured and calm because I think he knew just how bad we had been. Um, I think what he did point out was that really the game was kind of lost in midfield. You know, we failed to control the midfield and we're a team that has pr- been had so much pride in in that area um, and we just kind of lacked the identity. I think he, wa- he was kind of urging us that we need to get that bite back. We needed, on one hand, we weren't aggressive enough. On the other hand, it was kind of this chaotic press and it just didn't work against Chelsea and the high press. And they just kind of had this chaos. But obviously he noted the mistakes and things like that. But I just guess everyone sort of had an off day, didn't they? I think Polinia and Reed, where we've been so solid before is how they've kind of been protect the protection they offered to to Reem and Diop and we just didn't have that did we and you know we're so used to them mopping up the damage in midfield and there was just so much distance um so yeah I think I think Marco was kind of alluding to that and I'm going to his press conference on Thursday um so it's going to be really interesting to ask now about selection I think that's kind of the question on everyone's lips um particularly for me I want to know about the the striker situation really obviously I want to know if Vinicius is going to be starting the next game but yeah I'm, I'm sure we'll get on to that but yeah he was actually okay to be honest because I think he realized just how bad we had been <laughs> yeah um I mean Jack that midfield didn't work on Saturday we rarely say that about Polina and Harrison Reed one thing for me that was stark is uh someone on Twitter again I've forgotten who apologies um froze the screen just before Reem made that pass that went to Chelsea that ended up being the second goal Harrison Reed's nearly up with the defense he had so few options in, in that moment. And just generally, it felt like Chelsea was just steaming through the midfield. And then there was just no protection for Reem and Diop at the back, who were just facing an onslaught of Chelsea players time after time, wave after wave. There were so many warning signs before Chelsea actually scored because that same pattern just kept happening over and over again. Yeah, it's a weird one because when you look at what Chelsea have done in midfield this year and, and kind of adapted Enzo into that sort of 10 role, which I 
don't think is his best position. But actually, it really worked here because what Fulham tried to do, I think, was kind of play Pereira and Reed either side of Polina and try and create those triangles in the middle to bypass Chelsea's, which was sort of an inverted triangle, if you will. But instead, Moises Caicedo basically kept both of them at bay. And it was probably his best game that we've seen in a Chelsea shirt, which is worth pointing out. But he just mopped up. And what it meant is every time they won the ball back and, and Fulham couldn't keep it in those areas, couldn't make the ball stick. There was nothing about that reed Pereira partnership in the kind of eight roles, if you will, that allowed them to, to knock the ball between each other, to start to build those possession triangles. Fulham just couldn't hold on to the ball. It felt it was coming back at us every time. And because Guy said it was doing a one-man job on both of them, every time they streamed forward, it looked like Gallagher and Enzo had a two-on-one on Polina and then we're able to to sort of drive forward. And, and look, we've looked to our fullbacks to get forward. And there was a bit of, I don't know, apprehension, I suppose, that Anthony Robinson kept, instead of bombing past William down that left-hand side, kept holding back, cutting inside, coming inside and, and, and playing those passes into the middle. And I think it was really important that he did so because Cole Palmer was already having joy down that side. And as soon as you know, Fulham lost the ball, it felt like we were being outnumbered in that in that transition period every single time. And I, I worry that we weren't able to deal with that better. It's a really strange one in that surely, you know, you're looking at that game and Marco Silva's looking at a game and thinking, right, well, we're getting absolutely run over here in the middle. And they're making Polina, who is, you know, one of the best defensive midfielders in the Premier League, look incredibly average because they're able to have that 2 on one with him every time. And every time he tries to commit... They'll just knock the ball to Gallagher or Enzo or whichever of the two finds himself free. And then, you know, the two centre-backs seem to be absolutely terrified of Armando Brogia and it's leaving space left, right and centre for Madrid and Palmer to to utilise. And, and they did so to, to great aplomb in, in many ways. But yeah, it, it just felt like the midfield battle was completely and utterly seeded. And I think that's as much to do with our positioning and the way that we set out that it is to do with the, the talent on the pitch. It, it just felt like a really strange decision from Marco. Yeah, is um, obviously Fulham looked completely toothless up front and Raul Jimenez is under a lot of pressure now. Um, did Marco speak about our goal scoring problems post-match? Because, I mean, it's getting stark now. You've got one goal against Luton, no goals against Palace, two goals and just about against a second string Norwich that had previously conceded six to Plymouth um, and then no goals against Chelsea. It's becoming, it's, it's turning from being a, a couple of one-offs into a kind of constant problem that we're just not creating anywhere near enough chances. The, the stats are terrible as well. Dan actually perfectly outlined that on the most recent podcast about just how poor our attacking statistics are. Marcus seems to bat it off though and not act too worried every time he's asked about it. But I wondered if maybe Monday had changed that. Yeah, he was asked a really good question in the sense like, you know, you've lost Alexander Mitrovic, you got all this money for him, but you just do not look geared up to to deal with life without him. And he's, you know, he he hates that sort of question because it's about Mitro naturally. He's like, I don't want to talk about a player that isn't here. I want to talk about the players on the pitch. Well, Marco, you're not still not really doing that, you know, in press conferences. He kind of, up until now, this is why I think the next press conference is going to be really interesting because up until now, I very much got the feeling that he really wants to sit with Raul. He thinks he's got the quality, he's got the experience and the dressing room is behind that, that kind of um, decision as well. Um, but it was just another poor game, you know. He's he's kind of not for me. He's not in the right areas as a centre forward where he needs to be. Kind of 
doesn't pack that punch. At the very least, Vinicius is a bit of a menace, you know, makes a bit of a nuisance of himself at the very least. Um, so I think he didn't allude to anything on Monday, but I think in the next press conference, I believe it's going to be time for that change to give Vinny that start. Um, that's not to say, though, that that's the cherry on the cake, is it? And that comes down to, you know, that Vinny's going to be in the cherry on the cake. And that comes down to our summer recruitment, doesn't it? We just don't seem geared up for life without Mitro. Um, and that's not necessarily on Marco. And you can see why he gets frustrated about these questions about strike the striker conundrum, I guess. Yeah, I, I get that Marco's probably like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want to to, to lose Mitro. But at the same time you've got to be prepared for questions, right? It's just one of those natural things that people are going to put two and two together is and always go, oh, Fulham are struggling to score goals. Oh, you sold Alexander Mitrovic in the summer and you didn't really replace him. Like, I d Marco sometimes, I mean, I think like all managers, I mean, you'll know better is just do get annoyed about repeated questions as if like journalists are there to bore them or, or be tedious. But it's, it's the question on everyone's lips, right? No, a hundred percent. I don't know if, if it's, if, because obviously Burnley and Luton played last night, but haven't Fulham scored just... The only teams that have scored less goals than Fulham are the three teams that have been promoted from the Championship. Am I right? Is it around that? Right. But um, when we don't have any identity in the final third following the loss of Mitrovic, naturally everyone's questions are going to be about that. And I think that's the uncomfortable truth for Fulham fans. And it's why it's important for journalists to ask these questions is what, what is the identity please Marco? Can you kind of enlighten us a bit? Because I think we just want a little bit of hope and faith in, in the plan going forward. And, and, but as I say, it's not necessarily Marco's fault. He's kind of having to front up to these awkward questions, which are just lingering from the summer, having not replaced uh, Mitrovic correctly. Um, is it, it's actually now worse than that because Burnley and Luton played last night. So Burnley and Luton now have uh, more goals uh, than Fulham. Sheffield United, Bournemouth and Fulham, the joint lowest on five goals each. Well, at least Sheffield United are in there. So maybe it'll be two teams that can't hit a barn door. <laughs> yeah, can't wait. Screams nil-nil, doesn't it? Yeah, Dan outlined it on that pod. I mean, his his point that he made about some of the stats about Fulham this year, almost some of the, the 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 underlying numbers are down there with the likes of Luton and Sheffield United. Like, I don't think we're going to be sucked into this, but I don't know. After Monday, I'm I'm not as confident that it's definitely there's three weaker teams in this league. I'm pretty sure there is, but I'm not. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet my house on it. Look, I, I think that there, there has to be taken, you know, these results. We all got a bit excited because, you know, obviously we beat Chelsea last year when they were dreadful and they've had a bad start to the season. But this is a very talented squad and it has a lot of very good players in it. And a lot of them showed that, I thought, on Monday night. And and sometimes you have to admit that whilst Fulham were bad, insipid, etc., agreed on all of those counts, Chelsea were just the better side and won. And, you know, that's not the end of the world. I expect this Chelsea side to be much better than the rest of this season, right? So uh, the rest of last season, I expect them to to finish at least in the top 10, you know, and they might not think that's good enough, but I think there will be severe improvements under Pochettino at Chelsea. And I think we're already seeing that. Last year, they were bad and they played badly. This year, they weren't getting results, but you could see on the pitch that the side was trying to move the ball in the right direction, you know, trying to pe quicken that pace up. And we saw the kind of outcome of what happens when that actually works on Monday. It's unfortunate, obviously, that it came against us. And it's even more unfortunate that we allowed it, I think, to happen against us. But I wouldn't use that as a harbinger for the entire season. Now, I've been pretty down on this Fulham side. Um, and, and I remain so. But I, I equally think that 
when you look at these teams, and I, I think that not only are there potentially three teams worse than us, I think there's five. Um, and yes, I think we're going to struggle to score goals. Yes, I think we're going to, you know, to really struggle in the goal scoring department until January, if we look to bring someone in in January. But we know that that market hasn't been good to us over recent years. And yet, and yeah, I, I still look at this and think Fulham are probably more solid and able to find moments from players who can just conjure something out of nothing here and there in order to, to make this OK. But that doesn't make it good. It just makes it OK. Yeah, and I'm not trying to just be reactive to, to one game is. I'm just looking at that and thinking we, we just where if you can't score goals and then you're not like not shipping them either. I think our defence is OK. I mean, had a had a couple of moments on Monday, don't get me wrong. But if you're not going to score goals, then you're in serious trouble in the Premier League. And and right now, five goals from the opening seven games is is worrying, especially when we've played a few teams in there that you could have got a couple of goals against. I guess maybe Saturday is the big litmus test. Yeah, 100%. I think it's this time of year where you start to see if a team is gelling, you know, and it might be baby steps as our new players, you know, in that attacking line are, are learning a new system, they're learning to communicate with one another. We know it takes time for these things to click into place. But sadly, this league isn't very forgiving and we need to learn pronto. I think when you look at a team like Sheffield United, they had a very um, last gasp kind of um, few moments in the, the transfer window. And people at Bramall Lane are thinking this is kind of the month and the time for them to feel like they're starting to click into place. So I think Saturday is going to be a really good marker to to see from that for from both sides and I think mm. the pressure is really obviously the pressure is on Sheffield United they're looking for a result but the pressure is really on Fulham to see if we can get a result out of this game well uh, perfect time to come on to it we'll take a quick break and then afterwards we will look ahead to Saturday's game against the Blades Part two of the Fulhamish podcast it is Sammy here with Jack Collins and Izzy Barker uh, last appeal, if you are around at the Sheffield United game on Saturday and you're not doing too much after, uh, please come along to our Fulhamish live show, which is going to be at the Half Moon Putney. We're going to be recording the pod live in front of a studio audience. Uh, most of the tickets are gone, but there are still some available. We would love to see you there. Football Ramble host Marcus Speller is our special guest on the night. We're also going to be recording a special version of This Will Catch On, which will go in next week's Thursday Club. Uh, so this is a two-pronged message. First of all, get your tickets if you're around. Link in the description of this podcast or it's on fullamish.co.uk. Also, if you've got any of This Will Catch Ons, send them in. Hello at fullamish.co.uk. We've given it a rest for a little while, but we'll bring it back uh, next week. We'll do it at the live show. It's so good when we do This Will Catch On at the live show. So if you've been sitting on something for a little while, send it in and we'll try and give it a play during the live show. It's always a lot of fun. Let's look ahead then to that game on Saturday. I really hope we win this. Otherwise, the mood at that live show is going to be fun. Um, so, yeah, not the only reason we need to win, though. We do just need to win generally. Um, Izzy, Sheffield United having an absolute stinker of a season. Um, they've lost their last two games by a combined aggregate score of 10-0. Uh, so you'd like to think that Fulham will get back to winning ways in this one. But a bit like that losing game a few weeks ago, the pressure's on. Because if you don't win this, if you draw this, um, everyone's going to be asking an awful lot of questions. 
Yeah, 100%. I think, I do think we're going to get a result out of this. But as I was sort of saying, that the kind of talk at Sheffield United is, is that they're kind of expecting themselves to be fully up to speed from their kind of chaotic transfer window at this point. So I think they're kind of thinking they're going to start to click into gear now. Um, I think we've got to completely demolish them. But, you know, I think Heckenbottom is sort of saying that this is kind of their crucial time of the season. So they would be expecting to kind of pick up some form at this point in time. But to be honest, they're going to come at us with a with a low block. We're going to have Marco's going to have to try get through that sort of defence. We're going to have to try get our way through. And an early goal is just crucial, isn't it? That's why I think we need to start with Vinicius. I think Marco needs to have made that decision early on. I think we needed to have tra- tailored the whole of our training week around that to get that early goal, um, to get what our ad- identity was last season, getting some joy out of that, what those wide areas again, that those midfield battles with Polinia and Reed, um, and give us kind of some confidence in what our identity and system was and, and give that to the fans. Yeah, Jack, um, that will be the question, really. Who is going to start on Saturday? I kind of agreed with the logic of keeping it how it was for Chelsea. Some players got a runabout in the Carabao Cup against Norwich. And and in fairness, we said last week, no one impressed quite enough against Norwich to may, mean that you think they'll get the nod. A Wobie aside, maybe. Right now, for me, Vinicius Awobi starting eleven please. Everyone else, I'm not 100% too sure it's worth chopping and changing, but you know, you might think differently considering what Willian's performance was on Monday. Yeah. I mean, look, I think he will start Willian because he seems to stick with him no matter what. And the fact is that he didn't come off the pitch despite dropping, I think, you know, maybe the worst performance of anyone. So, you know, there's something to be said for the fact that Silva trusts him. He trusts him to conjure a moment of magic. And, and look, it goes back to, I suppose, what I was saying in, in part one about Fulham having those players who can conjure a moment. And William definitely is one of those players. And I'm also not willing to completely write him off after one bad performance. I was just angry, I think, with the manner of it um, at the time. And it, it, it felt like a bit of a kick in the teeth. But... I think he will continue with Willian, but I think the Wilson should start. I would, th- there's part of me, there's a real part of me that thinks, put Bobby Reed up front. Like, I know that this hasn't necessarily worked in all times that we've tried it before, but I trust Bobby Reed to run the channels well. I trust him to put himself about. I trust him that if a chance falls to him, he'll put it away. There is more about Bobby Reed's personality and what he's shown me in a Fulham shirt than anyone else in this conversation right now. Um, and I think it, I, I think it's worth considering, if nothing else, that Bobby Reed should probably be thinking. Uh, how he sat on the bench for so long on Monday night when there were so many bad performances across the board, he must have been thinking, what do I have to do to get onto the pitch? I, every time I come on, I might not be the world's best player, but every time I got, I come on, I make things happen. I work my socks off. And there are players out there who are showing me absolutely nothing. I thought it was a bit of a kick in the teeth in terms of how he wasn't utilised on, on Monday night. And I think that maybe he should have an opportunity. Yeah, Jack, it's in, an interesting point. And I don't, how much can we read off body language and things like that? But just the way he kind of trunched onto the pitch on Monday night, before everyone he just looked miserable and I think maybe those sorry my dog is barking wants wants to get involved in the chat but maybe he um 
is starting to have those frustrations and you know everything Marco says about him in the press conference is just kind of isn't really enough for him now so I think I like you say for the kind of harmony of the group and to put some faith in Bobby Reid it'd be great to see him make an appearance for sure he capped in the side against Arsenal didn't he I, I don't know if he could do any worse I really don't and like he's scored this season he scored a very good goal. It was well anticipated his his strike against Everton. He was near making it to that day as well. He was very unlucky not to. He's played up front before. He's can score goals. He's always proven it. I mean, would would you not consider maybe Bobby on the wing and then a Vinicius as well? Maybe, but I don't think he's gonna drop Willian. So I I wouldn't drop Wilson. I thought Wilson worked hard. I thought he was one of the few who, whilst he didn't play well, could walk off with his head held high. You know, he put a shift in he tried to make things happen. It didn't always come off, but you know what? I, I have no issues with Harry Wilson. I'm a big fan of, of everything he does. And, and I'm find, trying to find a spot, not only for that, but also for, for Alex Awobi. And, and as we've said before, Silva doesn't like dropping Andres Pereira. That's a you know it's something that we've seen happen time and time again. He trusts his dead ball ability. He likes the way he leads the press. Fine, no problem. But I thought Lukic did well when he came on. I thought Awobi did well when he came on. I don't really fancy dropping Harry Wilson. I'm trying to find spaces for everyone. And to be perfectly honest with you, Carlos Vinicius is very lucky that he did get sent off for a, a, what I don't think was particularly malicious, but incredibly stupid sort of mm. tap on the back of the head of, of Thiago Silva. Like, they're the kind of things that you, you have in a moment like this. You've just been given your opportunity. And don't get me wrong. I know there are times where someone is just trying a little bit too hard. But that just felt bizarre. You know, what are you trying to do? And again, I don't think that there's all that much malice in it. And I, actually, in, in real time, I don't think it's a red card. But you could absolutely see those being given. And it would have completely and utterly derailed any sort of hope of Fulham getting back into it, just as we were starting to apply a tiny little bit of pressure to that Chelsea goal. And I think moments like that are just like, what are you up to? I'm not quite sure what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve. And to be honest, of all of these players that we're talking about in these roles, Bobby is the only one that I have any sort of faith in going into the weekend. Yeah. So then well, let's, 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 let's go for it. Then Jack... Name name your team because there's also there's so there's so many up for debate seemingly after one game. Whereas Chelsea, I'm gonna told you the lineup. Now for Sheffield United, I've got no idea because also you could consider Bassi coming in as well. So Yeah, I, I think he will. I think he will. That's Cameron Archer up top. Right. So I, I think it will be Leno. I don't know if Tete's gonna be back. If he's back, he'll start, even if Castagna was good. Right. So whoever of the right backs, it doesn't really bother me. I think it'll be Diop and Bassi. And I think it will be Anthony Robinson left back. I would start Pelinho and Lukic at the base. I would start Pereira in front of them, Awobi on the left wing, Wilson on the right and Bobby Reid through the middle. But realistically, you think that it will be Willian instead of Awobi? Yeah, I think it will be. I think that if Awobi comes in, it might be on the other wing, which we saw him come on to play for Harry Wilson, which I'm not completely convinced is his best position or offers us loads of you know options and different ball kind of manipulation positions from from that kind of wing because I think he's better cutting in off the off that left hand side. If I was to pick a team, it would be pretty similar to that. What I think Marco will go because I I just I would love to find a place where Wobi starting. I just I really liked him. And the beauty of him is is that he's versatile, isn't it? So he can actually probably slot in in multiple places. But I think. So it's difficult to kind of say who he'd actually come in for. You know, he's so versatile, whether on the right or the left. And you mentioned Castagna and Tete there. I think if Tete's ready, he he would start. But I think Castagna's better going, 
maybe slightly better going forward, but not as much of a bully defensively. You kind of got that conundrum there. Um, I do, as I was saying, I think Vinicius, I don't, I don't think Bobby's going to start. I think Vinicius will start. Um, I think where he wasn't, he was taken off just before the hour, wasn't he, Raul, on, on Monday? So I think that was kind of a marker of Marco being like, okay, I've given it, what, seven starts now? it's not working I've, I've, so we need to try something different and I think Vinny will start but I'm not necessarily mad at that I don't actually mind Vinicius too much I think his numbers his stats aren't too bad what was it what was it four goals in seven games for Fulham last recently um mm-hmm. And it's very sounds very simplistic, but he is a confidence player. Um, they go on about it all the time in the dressing room, all the other players, and they loved it when he scored that goal. Um, was it against Luton? Yeah, against Luton. And um, Marco says the exact same thing. He's a really popular guy in the dressing room. They want him to have that confidence, so I don't see why he wouldn't start. Um, and I think it would be good for him if if he could start and, and get that good run. I think my kind of realistic slash what I would like line up. I think I'd like to see a Wobi starting on the left. And I think I'd like to see a Wobi getting the 10 and give Pereira a break. I think they made a good point as well as when I listened to the Tuesday pod, he's been thrown into this lineup. I'm not a hundred percent sure he was 100% ready to play, but we didn't really have a hell of a lot of other options short of Kearney, who I sometimes think is overlooked in the 10 and actually was brilliant in the 10 when Pereira did get injured last year. Everyone seems to forget that. But anyway, it's not going to be Kearney, so there's no point claiming that. I would give Pereira a little bit of a break. Give him a little bit of an extended break. Like, let him get fit. You've got another option in there now. And, yeah. <sighs> Dunno. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I just had a total meltdown there, didn't I? I just, I just looked yeah, deep complete, into the darkness. Yeah, complete and utter, like, brain moment. Wow. You're that was in the a abyss. dark place. Um, I so, think. It's okay, mate. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Oh, it's just, it just all went dark for a second. Let's look at Sheffield United. Um, I mean, Jack, they've had, uh, what was I thought like not a horrendous start at first? Like I thought, okay, this is kind of maybe what would be expected. They put pushed City all the way. Like they very nearly drew that game. And I was like, okay, this might be a Sheffield United that's a bit tough to beat. They uh, drew with Everton. Again, not a horrendous result. I get, could have won at Spurs. We're minutes away from winning at Spurs. So I was like, okay, this Sheffield United might not be the pushovers everyone's expecting. And that 8-0 is just shell shocks everyone. I mean, I thought that might be 2 or 3-0 to Newcastle. They're a very good team. And I didn't think Sheffield United would win. But I, I can't work out whether this means that there's a response coming from Sheffield United or they are just dead men walking after that defeat because... The things that an eight nil defeat can do to you, particularly at home, is is almost hard to measure. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously not great, right? It, it, you, nobody wants to lose eight nil ever, but equally, it's it's still zero points, right? Like sometimes, obviously, if goal difference comes into it at the end of the season, fine. Then they're going to look back at that and maybe be incredibly upset about it. But it's still, you know, it's no points whether you lose one nil or eight nil, and. They were going to lose that game to Newcastle anyway. I don't think this is like Southampton, Leicester, where like, I think Saints fans generally thought they could win the game before they went into it. I think that you wouldn't have found many Blaze fans thinking that they were going to come out of that game with all three points. So a loss is a loss, right? And and whilst it's a hard one to take for morale and all of those things, 
it, it's still, you know, you have to just put it aside and be like, look, bad day at the office. They were incredibly good. They are an incredibly good side. And we just kind of lost our heads a bit. That's, you know, these things happen. Um, and I think that actually, when you look at this side, there's a relative, you know, the first choice 11, I think is, is okay. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's not going to set the world on fire, but equally, I, I don't think it's particularly poor. There are weak spots. I still don't think that West Fodringham, you know, ex-Fulham is a, is a particularly Premier League ready goalkeeper. Um, the back line has still got Jack, Jack Robinson in it from the last time that they were up here. John Egan has played Premier League football before and Ahmed Hodzic is, is one of the you know highly most highly rated young defenders in the game. He might not be quite up to speed yet, but he's definitely a talent. You know, the, the midfield three, Vinicius Souza, I really liked last year at Espanyol. He's come in this season to, to kind of stiffen up that midfield. James McAtee, brilliant in the championship last year, has got an opportunity here to show his worth to City in, in the Premier League and in this Sheffield United side. Um, and then Gustavo Hamer, who, who Fulham were linked with and who I think most Fulham fans were pretty excited to, to be linked with. He looks like he's been a, a real source of, of momentum for this United side in, in, in the first couple of games. Luke Thomas plays left back, well, left wing back, you know, was fine for Leicester in the Premier League without being... Brilliant. And Jaden Bogle is, is also a reasonably decent footballer. Then up top, you know, I think both of their both of these strikers would start for Fulham. Ollie McBurney and, and Cameron Archer. Now that doesn't make them good. Let's just be yeah, clear. I was about to say. Um, but the bar's on the floor. But I think Cameron Archer is a wonderful footballer. I, I loved seeing him, you know, break through at Aston Villa and then obviously he went down to the championship, had a really good time at Preston and has now made this big move across Sheffield United. He's scored a couple of goals um, and scored a very good goal in, in the game against Everton. Um, a real poacher, has the ability to find the back of the net. I really like Archer um, and I'm sad that we weren't in that conversation, even if he is a different kind of striker to, to maybe the profile that, that Fulham want. I think he's a, a real talent. And together, that big man, little man combination, I think has the potential to be really, really impressive. I think this side are okay. Um, and I think that they will bounce back from from that 8-0. Um, if that's enough to keep them up, different question. I'm not quite sure that the, the depth is there. Um, you know, Tom Davis signed in, in the summer. First touch, basically, as a Sheffield United player, was to, to give the ball away during that 8-0 to Alexander Izak. But generally, I, I think that there is some talent in this side and they're not going to be as easy to roll over as, as perhaps people will think after the Newcastle result. But I am still convinced, concerned about the the quality within this back line, and especially in goal. Is um, I mean, Jack's done a fairly good summary of every uh, position there for, for for Sheffield United. But like, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you are still confident that Fulham can win, and I I am too. I'm I'm just nervous. I, I think for me, just like please don't let this be nil nil at half time. I think if it's nil nil at half time. I'm going to be there just like oh no. I think just a couple of first half goals would just be really nice. And that's what Marco Silva built this team on was starting fast and getting in leads. I, that was what we were so used to in the championship. And again, last season, we did it a lot. I feel like we need to go back to that. Just, just first 20 minutes is get out them and get a goal. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, was it, is it John Egan got um, injured at, against West Ham? I don't know how, the extent of the injury, but I think, that kind of plays into the fact that Heckenbottom might need to change the back three to the back three that came against Tottenham. Yeah, Jack, um, that's an interesting point with no John Egan. Um, who comes in 
Austin Trusty, the uh, the American centre back, or is it good old Chris Basham? It's definitely going to be Basham. Um, I think anyway. I mean, he could change it all up, I suppose, uh, considering the the run of form they're on. But Trusty's left footed, and so is Jack Robinson. So I'm going to assume that he keeps Robinson in the side. Um, I think he wears the armband quite a lot of the time. So I would, I would, I would put my house on on Robinson probably playing, and therefore makes more sense to shift. Ahmed Hodzic into the middle and bash him out to the right of the centre-back three in order to to accommodate them playing the same sort of style. So that would be my guess. I remember, so there was the game just before Christmas 2021 in the promotion season and uh, Sheffield United came to the cottage. I remember it being a really weird atmosphere because they just announced the Omicron variant of COVID. This is really taking me back. And, and we lost one nil, but I swear the cottage was about half empty that night because a lot of people were like, didn't want to get COVID before Christmas. Um, I remember being there cause I'd already had COVID like a two weeks before. So I was like this kind of walking around like immune man. I was like, ha I can go. Um, anyway, good old days, weren't they? Um, all I remember though, of that match was full of being crap and Chris Basham having the flipping game of his life that evening he kept Mitrovic quiet we did nothing that evening I mean is we've had actually a we, we lost both games in the championship to Sheffield United admittedly in both of them kind of weird circumstances because the other one was the final day of uh of the championship season where we really didn't care because we'd already won the league yeah it sounds like I worry history could repeat itself in those kind of unusual circumstances again obviously with Egan out um you wonder if Chris, ba- Chris Basham could have the absolute game of his life again. Of course, it would be so Fulham for him to do that as well. I mean, Chelsea couldn't hit a barn door and then they have an absolute blinder against us. And then Sheffield United looking for their first ever Premier League win this season. Um, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't write them off actually managing to find one against us, would you? <laughs> yeah. Well, the game is at three o'clock on Saturday. Um, no Sky Sports nonsense this time uh, around. Fingers crossed uh, Fulham can get uh, the three points. We're going to take another quick break. Afterwards, we'll get in some of your emails. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Izzy. Just before we finish today, time for a few of your emails. Uh, do send them in. If ever you want something for the Thursday Club, email it in. Hello at fulhamish.co.uk. Always try and uh, save up a few emails uh, for the Thursday Club. Uh, this one from Henry Dixon said, Hi guys, since I fully lean into the idea that Domino's Pizza cursed us on Monday night with that stupid giant billboard, I think it's time to bring back the Pizza Hut sponsorship. We're all tired of the gambling companies let's instead head up to Stamford Bridge next season with Pizza Hut fully emblazoned on our chests and give them a taste of this double stuffed crust cursed kindly from Henry GT I mean Jack nothing would give me more pleasure than Pizza Hut coming back um it's not going to happen but it would be what a wonderful world that would be if we could go back to those halcyon days an absolutely iconic kit isn't it so yeah, I mean, yeah, get that and GMB back as well on the sh- on the on the side of the shirts. That's that's what I'm after. Uh, is what is any other dream sponsor for you? Maybe some mixed martial arts or something like that. Oh, that'd, that'd no, I'm definitely Pizza Hut loyal. So when the Domino stuff happened uh, before even the game, I knew it was cursed. We're Pizza Hut loyal through and through, and I always will be till the death of me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh... It was an outrageous move. I just, again, this is something that's on the Tuesday. Like, why bring us into it? 
This was something between Chelsea. Go put it outside yeah, Stamford Bridge. Did, yeah, why did they not put it outside Stamford Bridge? You knew it was just a kiss of death, didn't you? I just, just didn't. No need for it. No need for it. They then gave free pizzas away to Chelsea fans as like a wee. Like, get out of here. Get out of town. It's, it's us that you've wronged here, Domino's. Anyway, I've announced a personal boycott against Domino's, so that's it. Annoyingly, one of their bloody leaflets came through my door this morning. I was like, you. I set it on fire in the streets just to uh, just to make a show. My neighbours wondered what was going on. Godalming had never seen such treacherous scenes. Uh, next up, a couple of emails uh, before we finish, just on ticket price stuff. Uh, David Nicholson said, Hi Fulhamish, thanks for your discussion on ticket prices after the Carabao win. It was so apt. I grew up in SW18 and first went to the cottage with my dad around 50 years ago. Moved out to Oxfordshire in my 20s and when I had kids we would get the train or drive into London. My son's first game was against Amcar Perm in that cup run. My daughter's first game saw Dembele score two to win the game and Zamora break his leg. She said it was the best day of her life at the tender age of five. I assume nothing to do with Zamora breaking his leg. In the years after we attended many kids for a quid games. We moved up to Cumbria about seven Seven years ago, but have been mostly limited to away games, which have been a lot of fun. Blackburn 7-0, Borough 1-0 twice, and this season still at Goodison, amongst others. But could that happen again at these prices? No, it just won't, or not for a normal working family. And as for our ability to attend a home game, it's just not going to happen. Not at £70 minimum for a ticket, plus rail tickets, plus food, etc. I listened to Russ on Cottage Talk and the references there to American sports. I think there's something that with our owners, home and away fans mixed together high prices. I'm going to a Ravens game in November, $90 for a cheap seat, lots of visitors and just very different as a model. It's such a shame. I love our club. BDR's winner at Everton was just the most ridiculous moment of ecstasy you can get, but the approach feels so sour. Thanks again for everything you do. Come on, you whites from David. And I think there's an apt point there, isn't there, Jack, that... I just feel like that American model is slowly being introduced to all aspects of of uh, British sport, really. And look, I know a lot of Americans listen to this. I'm not necessarily saying it's the wrong approach. It's just not our approach. And one other interesting thing that I th- I thought is it seems to be a lot more common, Jack, about away fans in home areas, and particularly prevalent last night in the Champions League, where thousands of Galatasaray fans managed to get into the home areas at Manchester United, which I thought was particularly apt considering that's exactly what we're worried about in our, in our game with them. Well, yeah, but Manchester United have launched an investigation into it, right? So you can't imagine the same thing happening at Craven Cottage, can you? Um, and again, look, this is not, it's just a difference. These two things are, are, are not the same and, and they can't be made to be the same either. You know, there are American sports and the way that the, the business model operates in those sports. And there are also the way that football clubs have traditionally operated in England for the best part of, you know, the last hundred years now obviously there have been major changes across that period but that was supposed to be you know they are different strands of of ticketing right and i saw something recently and just to kind of bring something up is that chicago fire are playing into miami in i think it's, it's either this week or, or at the weekend and yeah. chicago fire have offered token refunds or, or tokens of, of kind of to be able to move their ticket on to fans because Lionel messi is not going to be playing that is wild. This is not, as Christine Cooper said, a meet and greet. This is not, you know, oh, the, the star attraction isn't there. This is a football game between Inter Miami and Chicago Fire. 
it's not got, you know, whether Messi is playing or not is, is kind of circumstance, right? It's happenstance. The, these things happen. Players get injured. It's sport. Mm. That That is such a weird concept to be able to be like, oh, no, the star attraction isn't here. We're going to put on some sort of... That completely undermines the concept of team sport. And that's the kind of thing that you look at sometimes and go, there is a major difference in the way that these leagues operate. Now, you know, you know, and those of you listening regularly know that I love MLS. I think it's a wonderful league. I really enjoy it. I work for them. I write for their website. It's, it's not a slight on MLS by the, in, the, in the slightest. But it's different. And you have to accept those differences when you're talking about these things in the same light. And I find it intriguing that when there is the occasional defense of this kind of thing to go, well, it's this expensive in, in America. We just saw into Miami season ticket prices tripled off the back of that signing of, of Lionel Messi and obviously Jordi Alba and, and Sergio Busquets, etc. But the fact that those ticket prices next year have been, have, have been absolutely like hiked through the sky is is such a worry. You know, this should have been an opportunity. America holds the World Cup in 2026. The Messi transfer should have been an opportunity for them to look at this and go, how do we bring as many people into the sport as physically possible ahead of a home World Cup? And instead, what we've got is them going, how do we make the most money out of this in a short-term basis? And it's exactly the same problem that we're experiencing, I think, at the cottage. And, and that's something to just wear, bear in mind when these comparisons and, uh, and things are brought up. I did see that uh, someone on, I think it must have been Twitter or something, said, if I if I sit in the Riverside stand, do I get Marco Silva giving me a foot rub at half time? Because that's the only way that this price is reasonable. And <laughs> I think that sums it up from me, to be honest. Just, just alienating yeah. supporters, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And this will grumble on and on and on. Thank you for your emails on the subject. And Tim, thank you for getting in touch. That'll do for the podcast today. Thank you ever so much for listening. And thank you very much to my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. And Isabel Barker, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Well, it's the live show on Saturday. So if you're coming down, cannot wait to see you there. But if you can't make it, uh, the podcast, which we'll be recording on stage, uh, will be available sometime Sunday evening, Monday morning, by the time that uh, we've recovered from our hangovers and got around to editing it. Uh, so thank you very much if you are coming. And uh, if not, the podcast will be out later on in the weekend. Uh, have a great one, whatever you're doing. Fingers crossed we can make it three points before the international break. Come on, you whites. You whites.